announced the creation of a new information operations technical training school. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. The first command, the Air Force starts here. Everybody, welcome in to the Air Force Starts here. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download, however you might be listening in. If you get a chance to throw us a review, we certainly would appreciate that as well. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Team and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force, big A airmen, insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education world. Episode 66 of the podcast today, and it's all about the journey to and through the Air Force by Chief Mass Sergeant Lee Hoover, and he is going to talk to his old friend and next-door neighbor, Chief Mass Sergeant Stephen Blazer, the command chief at Air University, about why he stayed in the Air Force. Chief Hoover is retiring at the end of the month, and he sits down with Chief Blazer talking through his decision to join the Air Force, uh, his journey into being a broadcaster in public affairs, his favorite assignments, and then ultimately why he stayed in the service. They also spend a little bit of time talking about their time at basic military training as both spent time with the 37 training wing at JBSA Lackland. They talk about their admiration of military training instructors and all that they do every day generating the future force. And then towards the end of the podcast, they spend a good deal of time talking about the importance of family and you don't want to miss Chief Hoover's stories uh, about resilience and how he's come to learn so much from being a husband, a father, uh, and it's really helped him uh, as a wingman in his Air Force capacity as well, and the importance of family and loving them before it's too late. It's really some powerful stuff, so hope you can take time to listen all the way through. No spoilers, but Chief Hoover's passion for people and service, I mean, it shines right through. And on a side note, kind of full circle here, but Chief Hoover was a guest on the very first episode of the Air Force Starts Here way back in early 2019, talking about the then new BMT curriculum that was focused on readiness and lethality. So really cool that we could help share his Air Force story in this full circle kind of way on the podcast. So take it away, Chiefs. Episode 66 of the Air Force Starts Here launches right now. Well, uh, Chief Master Lee Hoover, I, uh, yeah. I got to say, before you leave town, man, I just uh, I wanted to invite you out and have a conversation. Yeah. You know, this is your this is your last week in uniform, yeah. on active duty. And, uh, it's been sitting with me. I'm putting on my boots this morning. I'm like, okay, I got three more days. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> lace it up those boots, right? We talk it's about the that. little things that you don't even think about. That uh, putting the ribbon rack on the service dress uniform, yeah. lacing up the boots, yeah, washing the clothes. You know, I washed my. Uh, uniform last night my wife moved to tlf and she's like do you need me to wash this uniform i just put on I had, this one's the clean one that i had from monday and i was like well, you can wash it but i don't think i'm ever going to wear that that one again yeah and uh in the rotation in the rotation yeah yeah right, a couple, everybody's got, got the rotation got three of them <laughs> they, yeah, they yeah. just rotated it out yeah so uh yeah it, it's been a good joy though good yeah. run good. yeah i mean i just wanted to kind of invite you to sit down and have a conversation yeah. um you know you and i have had many of these mm -hmm. And uh, um, I think the biggest thing is, is 
I'd like to talk about is your journey, man. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, I think uh, 22 years. 22 years. Right. And, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, I think just spending some time to talk a little bit about it, reflect a little bit about it, what service is meant to you. Yeah. I think both personally, um, and I think you know, I look at it as like the the family on two fronts. Right. Mm -hmm. We got the family on the home front. Yeah. And we got the family that we also serve next to. Yeah. And uh, man, you've been a brother and a leader. Uh, yeah. You know, and every every step that I've I've known you, but uh, yeah, I don't mind if you mind just starting off with kind of where you're from a little bit and what attracted yeah. you to join the Air Force in the first place. Yeah, so I'm from uh, Snohomish, Washington, a little town. Could you say it again? Nobody knows Snohomish. Uh, it's about 30 minutes north of Seattle, okay. Washington area, 30, 45 minutes. Um, born and raised in that town. I knew nothing but that town. My mom was born and raised in that town. Knew nothing but that town, and that's just kind of where I was going to be. Um, graduated high school in 1998, and I actually remember a friend of mine who was going to the Air Force Academy, and I thought he was foolish, man. Why are you mm. going to the military? <laughs> what are you doing? He was going to go play football for the academy. Uh, I went off to college, went to the University of Washington, and uh, I just really had no direction. Mm. Right? Didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't know what I wanted to study. Spent more time, you know, hanging out, partying, honestly, than going to school, unfortunately. And so, just kind of got lost and was doing a bunch of different jobs and i don't remember why i i don't remember what it was that first put me into the recruiter's office it was just i think it was a uh, maybe a commercial maybe it was a conversation i can't remember i just remember knowing that i needed to do something and so i went to the recruiter's office and i, I actually i was thinking navy or air force and i like to tell the story because it's just brilliant and my, my uh, recruiter tech sergeant linda reeves i told i went to the air force recruiter first and i said hey uh, i'm thinking about joining the navy or the air force and she's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, and she took a quarter out of her pocket and she put it on the carpet. And she says, okay, well, this carpet, that's the C. So this quarter, that's you. And it's Friday night. What are you going to do? <laughs> I was like, wow. This is Sergeant Reeves. Huh? Uh, yeah, this is Sergeant. I said, I'm joining the Air Force. And so uh, I joined the Air Force and uh, I first signed up in July of 2000 and went off to basic training in January 2001. Actually signed up. And when I first went to the job counselor, uh, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. At the time, I was listening to a lot of like talk radio. Yeah, where does that come from? That was just a kind of a personal interest you had. You had yeah, yeah. I, I, I listened to a lot of talk radio. I liked it. I liked. Yeah. I loved the movie, more, uh, movie Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to do that. And then when I went to, I didn't know that was an opportunity in the Air Force when I first right. went to the recruiter's office, but I saw it on a pamphlet that they had. I saw. It. I was like, I could do this in the Air Force. Recruiter was like, yeah. And so I go to the job counselor and I tell them that, like, hey, I want to do broadcast journalism. And the job counselor at MAPS was like, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Uh, I, th I guess I scored high in my ASVAB for like electronics. Yeah, we, we put you somewhere else. Yeah, yeah we, we need to put you yeah. So I actually left the MEP station as an electronic warfare specialist. That was going to be my job. And I went back to um, the recruiter and she's like, what'd you get? I said, oh, I get electronic warfare. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. I was like, yeah, it sounds really cool. I really just wanted to be a broadcast journalist, but you know, this is what I'm going to do. She's like, oh. So just to talk about how great my recruiter was, she called me a couple weeks later and says, hey, I found out what you needed to do to be a broadcast journalist. Why don't you come back in? Mm -hmm. And so at the time, and I think they still do it now, you had to do a voice audition. And you had, so I came into the office, I had a little uh, cassette tape in the back, <laughs> play, play and record at the same time and just start talking. You had to read some sentences, you had to talk about why you wanted to be a broadcast journalist and you, we sent it off. Um, and I was gonna go to basic training on, I guess it would have been 16, 17 January, 2001, because my birthday is January 14th. Okay. I wanted to go right after my 21st birthday. She calls me 
either the end of the year, or right after January 1st, says, hey, congratulations, you got selected to be a broadcast journalist, you get to do that. I was like, oh, this is amazing. She says, but you have to leave early. And so you have to go on January 9th. And so I left January 9th. And Your my, 21st birthday was in basic my training. First Sunday, the first Sunday basic training was my 21st birthday. Yeah, not quite the party you not would imagine. Quite the party. My, my fellow recruits or my trainees or whatever were like, hey, you should go ask the MTI for a drink. And, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably want to go through. Maybe yeah. if it was week four or five, I probably would have said yeah. some, but not not with zero week. <laughs> Man, how cool is that? You know, you and I like. There's somebody listening to your voice right now. Yeah. You know, like in this forum, mm-hmm. uh, that maybe they're even thinking about it. And if it isn't for, uh, Sergeant Reeves, you said right, Sergeant Linda Reeves. Yeah. yeah. Like just coming down and just being persistent, you know, with it. Now I think it's interesting yeah. is in the public affairs. Uh, I mean, that domain has kind of shifted quite a bit. You could almost say it is a, yeah, it is warfare in its own right. But, it but, is, I, yeah. but I think, you know, just looking at for where you're in this, so you're still talking, this is what year then? This is January 2000 and then 2001 was when I joined the Air Force. So early 2001. Yeah, early okay. 2001. I went right. to base training in January, graduated February, went to technical training at DINFOS, Defense Information School up right. in uh, Fort Meade, Maryland and graduated there May. I think yeah. went home on recruiter assistance yeah. program, and I went to my very first assignment, which was Angelic Air Base, overseas Turkey, right away. AFN, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to go home. I so this is another thing that I tell folks sometimes. When I went, when I joined the Air Force, it was very reluctantly. It was uh, out of like desperation in a way. Like I just need to get out of here. Yeah. Let me do four years. I was kind of like still. I can't believe I'm joining the military. This is you know I'm not very military. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to do four years. And then the night before you go to the hotel or the night you're going to the hotel yep. at MEPS, you sign another form. It's that last enlistment form. I don't know what the number is or whatever, but that has the number eight, had the number eight on it because you're basically signing up for eight years, four of it active duty, right. four of it individual. And I remember seeing the number eight and just, you know, raising my hand and saying like, hold up a second. <laughs> I was only signing up for four. I have been conned here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they explained that uh, the ready reserves to me and, well, I already got my bags packed. I guess I'm yeah. just going. And so I signed on the dotted line and left. And so in basic training, like I wanted to go back home. You know, just day four of basic training, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And then uh, I wanted to go back home to what would have been McCord Air Force Base at the time. Uh, but there's, as a broadcast journalist, AFN, the really the only places you could go was overseas. So I got an assignment for Angelic Air Base Turkey, and, and here we go. Yeah. You know, it's funny too, you bring it up right now. I think I did the exact same thing yeah. when I was at that final night yeah. and I was going line by line. Cause you're right, that's when it gets yeah. serious. It gets very it gets serious. It gets very serious. I'm taking, I'm gonna get on this plane, yeah. this destination and, and probably in about 24 hours or 48 hours, life is not gonna be as enjoyable. Like, you, you know, know that's happening. Know and that. I remember reading that four and four and I was like, wait a second. Yeah. You know, and they were like, hey, no, it's inactive. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, it's still, it's still a commitment though, still right? A commitment. Like I'm still signing for something and then, uh, yeah, we'll jump into that a little bit more about how we how you get to look at that. You and I both yeah. BMT from a different lens. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so, so then you, you okay? You go off, um, off we go off to we Turkey go into the wild blue yonder. Okay, into Turkey. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and 2001 still. This is June 2001 when I arrived at AFN Angelic in Turkey. Yeah, and uh, I loved it. Mm. I loved it. It was so much fun. Um, one, because I was a broadcast journalist and that's just fun. I mean, I was on radio. It's funny. Like I said, I wanted to be a, a radio DJ. I liked to yeah. be morning Vietnam. I was terrible at radio. Like yeah. I just did not do that very did well. Did you get them with a good morning insert? Like, like 
Well, I didn't like do that. Same? No, okay. that would have been kind of cheesy. Yeah. I mean, would have loved to. But I did get to do the morning show on Angel Lake a few times. I did an afternoon show for a little bit. Did a lot of radio news updates and stuff like that. And uh, But I, I, I don't know if I would say I was... Well, yes, I was terrible when you compare it to people who do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't at that level. And it, like, for me, like just hit, hit the mic. Opening up the mic on a board was very intimidating to me for some reason. Uh, but the thing I didn't expect to like, but I ended up loving was the TV part of it. Taking mm-hmm. a camera, going out with your beta tape, shooting some video, highlighting a story, highlighting a mission, highlighting an individual, bringing it back, the creative process of putting the videos together, putting your voice underneath it and, and just reporting, if you will, on what the Air Force does. I love that. And I had some great leaders mm. right off the bat at AFN, Bobby Blair, Eric Brazones. That's what I hope we start getting into, right? Because, yeah. you know, we got, um, we're going to try to, in the next amount of time we have this morning together, yeah. unpack. I blocked two hours. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we'll, see if, we'll see if everybody will stay with us. But, you know, I think there's those big pivot points. Obviously, first duty station, yeah. hey, is this for me? Yeah. 100%. And then there's somebody who sees something in you yeah. who ignites it a little bit, right? And yeah. then you first start to taste, um, yeah, I mean, the bar of excellence, right? You're trying to say, hey, can I? Yeah. But, but then there's this, this kind of journey where you go between the different tiers, mm-hmm. right? And have the opportunity to where you and I get to serve today. Yeah. You know, so, so those, those NCOs early on for you, or maybe it was even senior Huge, airman. yeah. Yeah. Staff Sergeant John Samuel was the first supervisor I had. When I got off the plane at Angelic Air Base, he had a Hoover vacuum box standing sitting next no to him. No way. This was how he was like, he's like, I, walk, I remember walk up to him. I was like, is that for me? He's like, are you Hoover? I'm like, yeah. I was like, all right, let's go. He and his wife took me out to dinner the first night and right off base in turkeys, hearing the prayers, eating the chicken something. I can't remember what it from was. From the plane, like you arrive and they're taking oh, you yeah, to dinner. Oh, yeah, they, they threw me in the door. Yeah. Put your stuff in the dorm room. Let's go to dinner. Yeah. And, uh, Some good old old school sponsorship. Yeah, it's still good school. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Bobby Blair showed up shortly afterwards. Uh, he is somebody that hugely influential at the very beginning. He was our operations manager. Eric Berzones was the, called the detachment chief. He was a mass sergeant at the time. And those two, like you said, you know, when I mumbled a lot as a kid, mm. I took speech therapy as a kid. When I was joining as a broadcast journalist, my mom was like, what? Like, you can't, mm. I, I still mumble. Uh, so I would have been horrible, but they saw something, sat down with me, taught me what it means to be a broadcast journalist, gave me opportunities. They would send me out on a, uh, shoot and i'd come back and rather than just leaving it to me they'd sit down with me okay here's how you're supposed to look at this Mm -hmm. here's how we put this together and then when it was done it was like look at what lee did yeah (laughs) you know yeah and and then they would put me in for rewards and i I ended up finding just kind of success in that realm right off the bat and um it's all due to them and there are people i looked up to chris vadness is someone that um i mean you may know him maybe you don't but um he was hugely influential. One, still today, one of the best uh, broadcast journalists I've ever. Met, I can see you reflecting yeah. on it right now, man. Yeah, he's just so good. It's yeah. really, it's really neat though when you describe them. Yeah. That's how I see you. Oh come on! Like yeah, in the yeah. way you operate, though. <laughs> like these early imprints. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, because I, I, I've had a chance to. You and I met. I was trying to remember this. The first time I saw you was was Security Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you were coming for a visit with Chief Master of the Air Force Cody. Yeah. Uh, was in building 2000. He was doing an all call. So this okay. would have been like, I was trying to think back, like maybe 14, 14 somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 14. Yeah. And I remember seeing you, I think you might've been a, maybe a senior at the senior time. I was like, man, this dude's sharp, yeah. you know, like, um, 
But but then we got a chance to sit down. Uh, would have been seventeen then. Families yeah, for dinner. I think end of seventeen. We had yeah. when the both of us on the command chiefs right. board list or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. The, and that was the first time. But but I mean, yeah. even since then, just the way that you're constantly sitting down with people, yeah. putting them out front, and then always giving credit to the person who's invested. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just really interesting to kind of see those early. Yeah. Um, I never think about difference that. makers for you. You know, yeah. so. So okay, so I so well, I was taught well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the power of an example. We exactly talk a lot right. about that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's a pretty significant year. So if you could describe kind of, yeah. um, this is all pre nine eleven. Then this is all pre nine eleven. Yeah. Just learning the ropes, having fun, um, playing a lot of soccer. You know, just the Air Force became like, oh wow, this is amazing. Right. The camaraderie, the and I think it was so good. I said I wanted to go home. If I would have gone home, it would have been a different yeah. experience. I got to go overseas, completely out of my element go experience what the Air Force has to offer. And I loved it. And yeah. I just had so much fun every day, went to work, had a blast. We'd go home, have a blast, spend time with the people around you. We were just all just having fun. I went on some early TDYs. My very first TDY was to Las Vegas, Nevada for wow. uh, the National Association of Broadcasters. I had won like a, uh, an annual award or something. So as a, as a award recipient, I got to go out yeah. to Riverside, California, which is where AFN had its broadcast center. So I got to go there for a week of training and then I got to go with some chiefs in, in broadcasting out to the National Association of Broadcasters. So but also went TDY all over. Um, and then of course 9-11 happened. There were some things that changed the way that we operate in that part of the world. Right. And so I got to go TDY and cover a lot of that. Um, I, I remember covering the down, uh, bef well, before then I remember covering Operation Northern Watch before Iraq. Covered Operation Northern Watch, which kept that no-fly zone active over Northern Iraq. And then after Operation Iraqi Freedom kicked off, closed down Northern Watch, closed down Southern Watch as well. Northern Watch, of course, being out of Angelic Air Base, but I got to fly to PSAB, Prince Sultan Air Base, cover the close, closure of that installation, the buildup of IED at the time. And uh, which is funny now, because I remember going to PSAB, this was probably 2003 maybe, yeah. and uh, it was all hardened facilities. It was a base. We were using it for years. We closed it all down, going to IED, and it was just a couple tents. And then now, you go to IED, it's a city. A yep. city. You go to PSAB, and they're living in tents because <laughs> it's like. And we got airmen now deploying to PSAB. It's like, oh yeah. I'm like, I remember being there 20 years ago, and it's yeah. So uh, we live the cycles. It's it's cycles. Yeah, yeah, everything is. Yeah, yeah. people will tell you that. Yeah. So the uh, where were you on 9/11? 9/11, I was at uh, AFN Angelic. You know, in Turkey, it was the afternoon. Right. And we were getting ready to shoot our nightly newscast. And we didn't shoot it live. We shot it live to tape. And uh, so it was probably 3 in the afternoon, 3.34. And uh, we were getting ready to shoot the newscast. And we have our, our we have the TV studio. Looks a little bit like this, right? Um, and then you have a control room in the back where we got folks over there. And then you have like a, uh, just kind of a general area where you could watch TVs and you kind of schedule the TV out. Uh, and we had a bunch of guys out there where you watch TVs and they were just a lot of commotion. And I was in the control room trying to get everything ready. And uh, I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And we had the first plane had hit the towers. And all of us kind of gathered around the TV. We watched it and we thought it was an accident. Everybody thought it was an accident. So I remember being like, okay, guys, let's go. We got to shoot this newscast. Like, I got to go. I mean, I think I got soccer practice later or something. We got, wait, let's get this done. You didn't realize the world had changed I, yet. No, no. We were yeah. just like, hey, I thought everybody was just wasting my time. Like, let's go. Right. <laughs> okay. That was crazy. Uh, but then as we were kind of talking, the second, we saw the second plane hit live like everybody else. 
And that's when we were like, oh goodness. Um, and then as the reports started coming out of what was happening, uh, of course, Angel Air Base went into Delta. As the AFN station there, we were the primary source of communication. You know, this is before mm. internet is the way that it is now. This is before- From an Netflix. operational lens, right? Yeah, yep. from, from a like, the only source of television and radio they had was AFN, mm. right? So we were the ones able to provide, obviously we broadcast CNN so you could watch that or Fox, whatever it is. Um, but then we would be able to come on live and we did that for a 24 hours. So I remember that night where I was getting ready to go, I ended up staying there all overnight. We would do, and it was the first time we went live from the studio in, in years. So we would do live updates, like here's what's going on around the installation. Cause it's a scary place. You're an Angel Lake Air Base, the, the base goes into Delta. Um, you don't know, you don't know what's going on. Nobody did. And, and so, uh, we were in 24 hour news cycle there, keeping the station open, uh, probably a week or two and, uh, until things kind of settled down. But, uh, and, that, and then, yeah, everything changed after that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think for so many of us, right. That, yeah. uh, where were you defining moment? I was in a uh, station in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. It was oh, wow. my second assignment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was on the, um, the watch is what the kind of way we had, um, I mean, I was working the Intel missions and stuff, but I, yeah. I was at home sleeping. And oh, uh, yeah. my wife's, my wife's dad called yeah, and said, Hey, turn on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it was pretty early in the morning. Same thing happened, right? Yeah. We, we, you know, we turned on the TV, we saw, um, you know, one of the towers had already been hit. And then we yeah. saw the, the second and, and I just put my uniform on and went to work. Yeah. Like, I think so many of us, you know, I didn't wait for a call. I didn't wait for, yeah. you know, we all just kind of, um, go. we rallied. So, so I asked you, you know, why'd you, uh, why'd you join? Mm -hmm. So I mean, like the next natural question and maybe it pivots off of that, um, moment in history, but, uh, you know, why'd you stay? Yeah. I stayed because I stayed for two reasons. I stayed because the people I was standing next to were some of the best people I'd ever met in my life. And I wanted to be a part of that family for as long as I could. There's just a natural sense of camaraderie. I was having fun. I love standing next to the people. It was the best thing I'd ever done up to that point in my life as far as just joy. I was finding joy doing it. Um, and then I realized like this was something special that I got to be able to do. Mm. Um, and there's still, there's always, that always kind of still, it still exists in me, that desire. And uh, I remember thinking the Air Force was going to be something that I did until I did something else. That was kind of like, okay, it's gonna be four years and then I'm gonna do right. something else. Okay, I'll do four more, but then it's gonna be whatever I'm gonna do after that. And then after a period of time, it became the Air Force is what I'm going to do, period. And there was a pride in that because I'm serving my, like, I'm serving my country. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm wearing the uniform. I have, you know, as you've heard me say it before, but there you have this awesome responsibility that we get mm -hmm. to carry as uniform members to carry out what our nation's asking us to do. And it's humbling and we should be humbled by it. And I didn't want to give that up. I loved it. Yeah. So that's why I ended up staying. And that's why I ended up staying for much longer than I ever thought I was going to go. Um, and I'm not, I'm retiring, but I'm not leaving because I don't find that joy anymore. Yeah. And that's why I've, you know, I've struggled even over the last couple months as I get closer and closer now, three days away, like, am I doing the right thing? I'm going to miss this so much, you know? And I know I am, it's right for my family. It's that time, but, but, uh, but I love it. Uh, we do, we get to do something very, very special in uniform. Yeah. And we get to meet special people like you and all the other people we've met and we would not have been able to do that. Yeah. So, so I think we, you know, we jumped across the, um, the towers being hit 
to you know staying yeah. was staying always an easy choice for you always you an easy choice. it was for you never never yeah it was always an easy choice it was i mean i guess the only hard choice you were like, clear just, on on what your prioritization what like you were i'm loving it i'm having fun right. i love what i do yeah i don't want to do anything else was it the same you had you had great leadership teams that helped you make that choice easy um, I mean, I always had good leadership teams. Yeah, yeah. I, Interlake Air Base was there. I went to Yokota Air Base Japan after Interlake in 2004, and I had Pete Cassiano was there. Met uh, some young, an army staff. So this was a joint unit. So I had some Army Marines, Marine Gunny Sergeant. Um, I had uh, Army Sergeant Dan Wiltshire. Um, Pete Cassiano was an Air Force Chief that was there. Brendan Vargas was a good friend of mine. And you just have these guys that you're like, hey, yeah. you know again, having fun, being yeah. on the radio, traveling the world, telling the news, telling the Air Force story. And uh, it's what I want to do. The only hard part was like, yeah, am I really doing this? Am I staying four more years? And, right. um, but there was never a part of me that's like, I just really want to get out. I never felt I wanted to get out, even yeah. to this day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really want to, I know it's time to get out, but right. I don't really want to get out. Right. It's like, I love it. And I know that's probably not a very good uh, story in the sense of like, I had to wrestle with the decision. I never wrestled with the decision. I always, yeah. this is what I want to do. Easy. Let me raise my right hand. Let me say, yes, I got it. This, this is, this, this is the place that I found, found joy in life yeah. in the in uniform. But I think, you know, in me knowing you, um, I just think you're very clear on what matters to you. Yeah. And so I think those choices, whenever you come to them, they, it's easy to know what direction you step in. Like the, yeah. the, the reason, the reason you're moving on to another phase in your journey is the family. Like you knew that was a very yeah. clear priority for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I look back for me, I've always, uh, you know, the search for meaning that we, that we have in life. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, for me, the first reenlistment was super easy. Cause it was like, Hey, we're, we're sending you to Hawaii, but you got to reenlist like, okay, I'm going to Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I want to, this girl that I convinced <laughs> to marry me, like I probably won't get a chance to live in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is kind of midpoint, but, um, I think the point you bring about responsibility, this awesome responsibility. Yeah. That didn't start going full circle to me until probably later on. Yeah. And same and for I, me. Yeah. And I had um because I think you just don't you just don't realize you it. You don't realize it, yeah. You don't realize the the short conversations, how impactful they are. You mm-hmm. don't you don't realize you just said something to somebody, it might have been just mm-hmm. and, and then years later they you say, Hey, you know, you don't know how much that meant to me at the time. Yeah. You know, and you were just trying to be helpful maybe or yeah. Um, I think sometimes but, you don't realize the small little things that you do when you're looking down your soda straw and the effect that they have on that on whether the kill chain or whatever it is yeah. that the, the the guy at the dispersing counter and finance and the impact that they're having the ripple effect across our force uh, or even just the broadcast journalist ca- caption video of somebody or, or the PA airman and what they're doing you don't realize it yeah. until later and you see the bigger picture yeah one of the most powerful questions I ever got asked at ALS which mm-hmm. is I always love ALS are just always um, very candid, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, and I think true. it's because, you know, they're still thinking about, hey, is this is this continually for me? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but but I had an airman ask me, hey, what is it like to serve with both feet in? Hmm. And that's a good question. And I thought that man, what a great question. Yeah. But now I'm like, when I lace up the boots, I'm putting both feet in every day. Like I yeah. I, I always think about that. I like that. Yeah. You know, to serve both feet in. And so, so so across this time frame for you. Let's talk about family now. Okay. Yeah. So you meet a girl. So I uh, stationed in Japan. Yeah. And uh, while I was in Japan, I kind of. I was. So what year is this lost. now? This is 2004, 2005. Okay. Um, had a lot of fun. Yokota Air Base Japan was probably my favorite assignment. Um, 
Japanese people, the Japanese countryside, everything's just wonderful there. Uh, met a girl there, was dating her for a while, spent a lot of time off base, and um, but I just knew I wanted more. And, and uh, a good friend of mine, Danny McKittrick, who I was stationed with in uh, Turkey, he would uh, he he knew my story as I was came, kind of wrote, grew up as a believer a little bit, kind of bounced back and forth, and uh, he would always invite me to church and be like, hey, you know, you need to come to church. It's like nah, you know. And uh, I just remember waking up and just be like, yeah, I need more in my life. And uh, so I told him like, hey, I'm gonna go to church with you, right? And so I went to church and kind of at that moment, just kind of rededicated my life to the Lord and uh, left Japan shortly afterwards. And so when I got, and my next base was San Antonio, Texas. So I got to Lackland Air Force Base over there on the training side in the back of the lodging facility there. Um, got into my room and opened up the phone book. Yeah. And I was like, churches, look for yeah. churches, right? Um, it was back when they had phone books. Back when they had phone yeah. books, and I wouldn't. Maybe I'm sure they probably would have had 2006. I'm sure they had Google, obviously, but I wouldn't. You wouldn't think to search Google for a church, I guess, at the time. So I'm looking through the phone book, and there was a big ad, and like, okay, I'm going to go to this church. It was Oak Hills Church, and uh, it was actually pretty far from Blackland, so I don't know how, but I ended up yeah. going to that church, and uh, I met my wife there a couple months later, not that first day, but um, wife Stephanie met there in San Antonio. We dated for a year. Uh, I deployed. We got when I got back, we got married, and uh, you know her. I do. She's uh, she's pretty amazing. Yeah. I really got lucky. <laughs> There's like uh, uh, very lucky in love. Uh, she's a tremendous individual and just uh, a resilient soul. Someone just gives me a lot of joy. Um, there's really no joy without her, right? And um, and the stuff that she's gone through. She was a very successful hairstylist at the time. Yeah, I uh, had a lot of high end clientele. The, local news anchors and not, and uh hey let's go with me and yeah experience this world and so it's been a rough road for her but uh yeah she's been tremendous yeah now um so for those listening in uh chief hoover and i get a chance to be neighbors right now yeah and so for the past year we've uh-huh. lived uh 100 feet from each other yeah yeah um, many, across the fence that's like, right hey come on <laughs> you know they made our dogs they're barking at each other yeah, the yeah. fence and and uh but the beauty of it is, man, we've got a chance to yeah. get to know Stephanie and yeah. and, uh, and your girls too, which I'd like yeah. to talk a little bit about, you know? So yeah. when we we kind of fast forward, the first time our families shared a meal was, I think we're saying it was 17. Yeah. We were at a uh, training course together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that I think it was really, a lot of times we have military training, but it's yeah. the first time your spouse is, for me, that was the first time my spouse got to join so me. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Jen, was talking to me about that so we we got to do fine dining yeah this we, there <laughs> was like protocol how to right, protocol how to protocol here's your bread here's your, your bread and drink. your drink yeah and uh, we were all like sitting you know proper dining and courses <laughs> yeah, and, on your lap um but i remember our, our our wives got to meet yeah you know that that night and uh, who would have known you know where that known. was gonna yeah crazy where that was gonna be kind of uh, and i don't reunite yeah you had said that you'd remember seeing me in in 14 or so yeah and i don't remember I, I feel like I remember that night and knowing you, who you were, but not knowing who you were. Like, yeah. I, like it was, I felt like it wasn't the first time we met. I don't remember where we met maybe before then, but I do remember that night, of course, very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And so fast forward again, then we get a chance to serve together in basic military training. Yeah. Yeah, so how was that experience for you now going full circle, going back? Uh, well, so can I rewind a little bit before Please. we get into that? Yeah. So I wanna, I wanna talk about going to work for the chief master of the air force because yeah. i wouldn't have worked at bmt yeah, if not worked that, for the like that's not significant you're, you're, yeah well yeah. and the only reason i bring it up because you mentioned bmt and, and really what i want to start with the bmt is like i would like 
Chief Master Air Force Cody said, hey, what do you think about BMT? And so that's yeah. how I ended up there. Yeah. And uh, But I went to go work for Chief Cody for um, pretty much his entire time, right? I got there in July of 2013. He uh, kind of took the position in February of 2013. And I left in February of 17, right when, uh, I mean, literally the last task I had was to orchestrate the transition of responsibility ceremony, mm. retirement ceremony for Chief Cody. Chief K. Wright came on and uh, I like drove away being like, peace everybody, good luck, yeah. right? And, uh, and drove down to BMT, but that was a awesome four years um, and just an incredible, experience working for Chief Cody. And, you know, we've had some conversations and everybody has their opinions. Usually they're ill-advised, just wrong. Um, yeah. I may mean, think probably nobody in our Air Force is, nobody in our Air Force spent more time with Chief Cody when he was wearing that stripe than me. Yeah, I'm confident of that. Yeah, maybe my friend, Chad Goff, who was running around with us a lot of time, but- He's out at the 86th. Yeah, he's at the 86th yeah. Chief yeah. Day. He'll be here this week. Um, and I saw him up close every day. And I know how much passion he had, how much care he had. You talk about bold leadership. He is the example to me about bold leadership. Mm. He will always be an example of bold leadership to me. Um, I think he was tremendous. And uh, it bothers me when people say other things about him, but um, he was great. So we had a good time uh, serving together. And then at the end of that, you know, okay, what do you wanna do? And I got the job technically as a PA guy broadcast journalism yeah. is part of the PA triad. Um, and then got the job working for him. And then at the end of it, I had made chief. I had just made chief. I got there as a senior select, pinned on senior right when I got there and then uh, made chief on the way out. And I was like, hey, what do you wanna do? And at the time I was like, well, I can go back. I think there's a combat camera squad or maybe try that or go be a chief in one of the match comms for PA. And, and he said, well, what do you think about basic training? We were putting, at the time it was shortly after the um, scandal, if you will, in 2012-13. Yeah. And we had transitioned to where chiefs were in BMT now and they're not, they weren't prior MTIs. They didn't have to be prior MTIs. And so there was an opportunity for me to go be a squadron chief at BMT. And when he, I remember the first time he said, it's like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> me, basic training. Uh, but he knew like Steph was from San Antonio. He knew, and like, I remember him telling, he's like, no, that's exactly why I want to send you to BMT hmm. because you're not an MTI. And uh, so, I prayed about it, talked about it with my wife. And uh, and this, at the end of the day, it was like challenge accepted. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Let's push me way out of my comfort zone. Let's embrace this. Let's go. And I remember going down there being very intimidated, I guess is a good word, by just the idea of MTIs, right? I'm still pretty young. I'm a brand new chief. And I was a very young chief. So I'd been in at that time, see, 17, I'd just been in 16 years, had pinned on chief, brand new chief, still young, knowing nothing about BMT, walking into a room full of MTIs and then looking at you. And in my head, I'm thinking, they're looking at me going, who is this fool and why is he here? Yeah. That's what's in my head, right? Yeah. Um, and then you just, okay, I'm gonna do the best I can, connect with them. And then you start realizing the MTIs are all people too. And yeah. uh, what an experience. I was there yeah. for three years. Yeah, so I'll, I'll uh rewind a couple of things too. I remember the first time I met you because obviously uh, Chief Cody was coming to speak. Yeah. And, um, you know, and this is the time where I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really important point you make because everybody has these strong opinions about people that they've never had a chance to meet. Oh yeah, yeah, we all do. But right? yes, I mean, yeah. we, like we do that because yeah. we live in this era where we yeah. get fed things. Yeah. Um, but I remember he said something to me, to the group, right? 
mm-hmm. and it was uh, and it always resonated with me. And and the first thing was, hey, how, how many of you believe that uh, uh, we have an uh, inflation problem on our EPRs, right? Oh, yeah. Inflation, like you know where this is going, right? Oh yeah. Oh, everybody's hands up, the whole room. Okay, um, how many of you have written inflated EPRs yourselves? And everybody's like, oh, well maybe I. How many of you yourself have an EPR that's inflated? Yeah. And it was this ability to be like, oh man. Maybe, oh, maybe, well, maybe, I, maybe not yeah, like, yeah. Maybe, but, it, but, but it was like went from everybody to, yeah. well, no, not, not me, you know, yeah. it, and, and it really made me pause about doing my part, yeah. right? Am I doing my part? I think another part of that, which I've, and this may be a side note, and I don't, I know we don't want to go down this, but how many of you have seen other people's EPRs? Yeah. Not many. I, I don't remember growing up. I mean, now I've seen a lot of other people's EPRs, but when I was, you know, young NCO, I wasn't up there just looking at everybody else's EPRs. Right. So we have no idea, or seeing the package and knowing like, oh, that's inflated. You have no idea. You just right. assume it. But, but I think the whole point is we're always trying to find a different form or a different thing. And through history, sure. we've done that. Yeah. Versus, you know, leadership is tough. You know, sitting down and, and having dialogues with people and moving them from where they're at to a better place because you see potential in them or, yeah. you know, that's an ongoing thing. And I just, uh, I always remember that. And then I also, there was, I remember a thing he talked about um, he, he, when somebody would say non-bald, they were non-bald to somebody, you know, this location. And he would say, hey, last I checked, we all raised our hands <laughs> to do what the nation needed. Yeah. And just that truth, right? Like, this is the difference between... Like, like he's he not, he's truth. not going for votes here. He spoke truth. He spoke truth. And, and, and I think even I think, the things he took on, I yeah. mean, from developmental special duties, yep. to the promotion system to the, I mean, he took a lot on like a really, really things that have transformed our air force to today. And, and I think it's shame on us if we criticize the things that didn't go the way that, that sure. way they were intended, yeah. you know, because there really were some things that, that moved the ball forward, yeah. you know, no doubt. So, and then not understanding the environment that he was in, this was sequestration. He and general Walsh at the same time were yep. the huge drawdown of, resources and trying to live in that environment and um and yeah it, he took on some things that we had talked about for years that were problems and nobody did anything about it I mean, it's not because you know nobody had the direction or vision and he just bam i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna walk the halls of the pentagon and that was another thing as an enlisted member you realize that okay wow you really need a strong enlisted leadership in that yeah. room to raise the vo- their voice and say this is what we need to do and and that's what i mean like he spoke truth and he wanted us to be better he didn't want you to be, I mean, he wanted you to be happy, of course, uh, but he wanted you to be better. Yeah. He, he wanted you to like, he wanted us to be as strongest enlisted force we could be because he knew the value of that strong enlisted force and he would do anything that was right to do that. And that absolutely has remained true. Absolutely. I think of any, yeah. of any chief master of the Air Force, I mean, that's the bar that they all, you know, yeah, a chief yeah, bass, absolutely. chief right, and all the yeah, things. That's, so, that's what they do. so one thing I think at base of training is, is definitely, I remember showing up in the intimidation factor of the, yeah, of the MTIs, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I remember, and I, and I just found out recently when you'd look around the corner and they, hey, Chief, chief you, you got a second, you would talk to the flight and there could be hundreds <laughs> yeah, I know. of trainees ready to rock. Um, so what do you think about when you, when you remember just the meaning of serving there? I think about pride. I think about excellence, like core values. Yeah. Like excellence is in BMT. I think about impact and just the tears on the faces when they graduate, the, the, feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of pride that they have. Uh, I think about transformation. I think about camaraderie, the MTIs being there for each other. And uh, yeah. I think about all those things. And I think, you know, it's funny, you're intimidated by MTIs, but they are airmen who show up too that have no idea what they're getting into. Because DSD, a lot of them didn't know 
this is wasn't there a picture there this is what we're doing i guess and i'm so intimidated and i never wore the hat i was never an mti but my journey at bmt followed a lot of the mti's journey where you get there you don't know what you're you don't know if you're going to be good you're very intimidated by this idea like i've never with the exception of a few maybe never even wanted to be an mti right yeah i don't know if i could do this and then you oh i can do this oh everybody around me they actually are people too and they actually care for me and they they are humans <laughs> right and then oh by the end of it you're like i feel confident and i feel challenged and um i grew a whole lot while i was here bmt for mtis is the best leadership experience you will ever get there there's no other leadership development experience i mean imagine throwing 50 airmen at you in the middle of the night yep. and saying hey by tomorrow morning you need to figure out who the sharpest one is you need to get them through breakfast right get them to go get haircuts are you going to do oh, within the first week that is a i mean they're not perfect but yep. they're they're functioning as a team because you as a, and, and you're the only person they're looking at and we don't do that today in the operational air force we yep. don't throw people at you like that so talk about getting through the leadership fire there yeah and i think that's to me when i you know i was a tech school instructor yeah i wanted to be an mti um but i i looked at that as man this is the greatest leadership experience that anybody could ever yeah. ever go through you I'm know sure. and and i think even you know even your comment about for a while there um we didn't have there was a rule you had to be a prior mti before you were the yeah. superintendent of the yeah. scl you know now but i think it's because we changed the prioritization of we just need a great leadership down there period yeah, yeah. you know um now now, now you they have it to where you can be a prior MTI, but the, the prioritization is like, we owe this team the best leadership that we can give them. Yeah. And I think it's the same way for all the NCOs and senior NCOs, all the CGOs down there, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that, are, that are leading. And I think when I look back on it, the hat, while I saw it, cause it's a powerful symbol mm -hmm. when I first got there, in a way it almost, I don't wanna say disappeared, but I, I saw the people a lot more, Yeah. right? Cause you just get to know that. And I heard somebody say this, you know, that, um, I wear the hat the hat doesn't wear me right like it's yeah. and and it really is um something that's special from a family sense of just going in i would never seen so much teamwork and yeah. have each other's back yeah. that i had down there and it's you know family I, I was there through COVID. i think you had just left I just, left just prior um but that talent was tested man they just came through mm -hmm. for for the air force in america yeah, you know big time right. i i think before we we sign off though i think we've got to talk about the most significant night i actually remember though when i was there yeah um, was getting a chance to go to, you know, you were fostering a couple girls oh, at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's gonna be hard for me not to get emotional getting through this, so, and I can't imagine for you. So, um, you know, you and I were, were, were um, co-workers. I definitely knew the family situation you had going on, but if you don't mind talking about why you were there leading as an airman, there's some pretty significant things going on on the home front. So you mind sharing some of that? Yeah, um, in fact, I'll share, I'll, I'll start there first, then I'll do some, I'll share something else that was significant for me in the home front. This just kind of made me shift the way I view the world. But, um, so my wife and I, we got married, we, we talked about that and, uh, we wanted to have a family, not right away, but after a couple of years, we wanted to have a family and just, uh, we weren't able to we just, we don't know why we still don't know why, but just, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. We tried the IVF. We tried the, all this other, it doesn't work. Okay. Um, and just being prayerful about it and just like, okay, well, I guess this is just our, this is what we've been asked to do. And we got to San Antonio uh, out of DC and my wife, I remember coming home one day, this was in February of 17, we got there. So maybe March, she's like, hey, uh, what do you think about fostering? And 
I was like, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I was afraid of like, hey, you, you take the child in, but then they're going to take them out. And I don't right. know who's coming into our house. All and so, but I told her, I'll go to an informational brief with you. And so we go to the informational brief and it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're fostering. It was like, hey, there's 5,000 kids in need in Bear County. And you just, heart, man, you try to have a servant's heart mm-hmm. and like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And then it was like, okay, you had to take six months of training. So we went through all this training. And then at first it was like, we could do it. We'll just take one kid, a school-aged kid. So we could put this child in school. Uh, and then they were, hey, we need people who are willing to take siblings. Okay, we could take siblings, I guess. And whatever age, okay, Lord, just whatever you guys need. Right. We'll, we'll just, that's, that's where we ended up. And uh, we finished our training, kind of had the agency calls us. Hey, we have these girls, Alyssa and Alana. And, uh, they need a dad because I think they were with a foster. They had put, been put in foster care maybe a month and a half prior to that call, but they were with a single mother and uh, they, they needed a dad based on some things that were going on with them. And so um, we said, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and so at the time, Alyssa was four, Alana was 13 months and uh, they came to live with us and it was a rough road. Cause it like we had, you realize how selfish you are. Mm. We were so selfish and um, at that moment, everything changed where you couldn't be selfish. It was constant, like they need you. Mm. Um, and it was two at once and it was just like, uh, and there's a lot of, uh, tears on both ends, them and us. Yeah. Right. And, uh, we did that journey for, let's say two, it was two years. Cause this was October, 2017 when they came to live with us for the first year, a lot of visits with the parents, uh, every week, or at least the dad and the mom, it was very, um, foster care is a very difficult thing because you love those kids. You want those kids to be yours sometimes. We were a foster to adopt, we were open to that. Uh, but you're also praying and you care for the family, their parents, yeah. that you, you want them to be successful in whatever they're trying to do. And uh, unfortunately, their parents were not successful in that. And um, so in 2019, they became eligible for adoption. And we raised our hand and said, yes, we want to adopt them and kind of went through that process. And so then in November, 2019, we adopted them uh, they've, they're now Hoover girls, Alyssa and Alana Hoover. And that night at, we had, we celebrated that That's night right. at Biggs, November 25th, 2019 was the day that we adopted them. Yeah. And, uh, we were at Biggs and had you guys over and, uh, they've changed our world from a, from a priorities, you know, well, most important thing is those girls. And when you talk about resilience, like they are an example of resilience to me, yeah. especially the oldest Alyssa and everything that she went through. Cause she was four, about to be five everything that she went through in those first five years of life and everything she's kind of gone through now, the emotional arc and not knowing where she was going to be until she was adopted. And, um, she's an amazing kid. You know yeah. 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 I, I think that's how I look at it. You know, I, I, like, I remember it so vividly standing in that, that burger joint. Yeah. And, and just realizing I was just, I was just captivated by both of you, like mm-hmm. you and Stephanie. Yeah. Like looking at the, you know, um, you could just see that you guys had gone through so much for this moment, for this to happen. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the family photos, you know, shortly yeah. afterwards. Um, and, and so, you know, then you, you, you know, you have, you've had some pretty, you've served in positions you got a chance to see our Air Force because you know, after that you go to the White House, yeah, uh, you know, the White military House. office and everything. That's military but, office. And I knew this was going to be tough to get through, you know, uh, you know, over two decades in a, in a short conversation. But <laughs> I think for me, is coming back here and being your neighbor. Yeah. The first time uh, Alana came up and gave me a hug <laughs> with sheer joy yeah. and love, like, dude, 
it was just amazing. Yeah. To see the growth in her. Oh yeah. Like true growth in who she is and her happiness. Oh yeah. You know, to your point about priorities, like putting the whole thing in perspective, because a lot of times like in uniform, we like, oh, this, we can't fit, like, and you're like, hey man, like, yeah. you know, um, it was just beauty, man. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's just because you're, you're so right. You want, you want people, and I think especially our youth to have a future mm-hmm. um, and, and, and one that they can just be the best version of themselves. We talk a lot about that, yeah. but man, um, you know, just having the blessing to be next to you guys and see the love that resonates from that home. Yeah. Um, Same. I love it. Mr. Yeah, Blaze, Mr. Jen. They yeah. Love, like just the way they come and, over like, yeah. Hey, do you have any eggs? Hey, do you have like, <laughs> you go, you'll send them over as the runner. <laughs> go, you know Alana. I mean? <laughs> and we do yeah. it as, we do it as well, man. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it's awesome. Like I said, man, it's been, uh, it's something we'll never, ever forget. Yeah. Um, I'll tell the other story too, because in, uh, 2017, and that, so that was a transformative year for me, right? They got the, the girls in October, 2017, uh, in April, 2017, my dad died. And you know, the kind of the story with my dad and how he kind of died unexpectedly. And, um, I remember when he died having this, cause I didn't have a great relationship with my dad and we kind of tried to repair it. You're going to share that kind of invitation with the, uh, yeah, the yeah. promotion ceremony. And all that. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, yeah, so I didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. And, uh, when I got time for my promotion ceremony to chief, I wasn't going to invite him at all. I, I was not that I didn't want him there. It was more of like, my mom was coming. That was a priority to me. Um, and having them both, you know, they divorced when I was younger. And so it would have been awkward, it would have been hard. And, you know, so it wasn't gonna invite him. And then I was on the uh, on a plane with Chief Cody, flying back to he and I from probably Maxwell. And uh, I was telling him about, he has asked me about the promotion ceremony. I told him, yeah, my dad's not coming. I remember him saying like, well, it's a pretty big deal, Lee. It's a pretty big deal. And, uh, and so a couple of days later, my dad calls me and he's like, Hey, I heard you're getting promoted. I'd love to be there. So of course I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go, or I'm going to go ahead and invite you. So I invited him out anyways, having me there all week. Um, I remember a moment at the promotion ceremony where, you know, chief Cody, he was the officiant. He's standing up there talking. And uh, I looked down at the front row, you know, where your family sits and, and my dad was just looking at me and uh, he just smiled and, and dad's quiet. So it's kind of like a gentle smile, mm-hmm. right? Not a big grin. And, um, I just knew that he loved me and, and I loved him and it was awesome to have him there. And, and it was special. Uh, and then that was the last time I saw him alive because he left the next day. And so I'm like, I'm so glad I invited him out. And uh, he left the next day. He, a couple months later, he fell off a roof, hit his head. He died at the hospital that night. And uh, when he died, it was so like, bam, like powerful for me of a sense of forgiveness, a sense of love, regret, right? And just a a realization that your family is so important and that you need to love them all regardless of what you're going through. And they are the most important duty that you have in life is to love your family well. Yeah. And so that, when you combine that within the girls and just like, hey, this is what, I, you know, there, you can sit there, what I want to accomplish in life or what I meant for in life. Hey, you are responsible to love your family well and to treat your family well. And, and the best way that I could do that right now is to retire. And so that's why I'm doing that right now. Um, but it's uh yeah that that all is connected i think and so that's why i wanted to kind of share that story briefly in a kind of the rambling way that i just did no (laughs) yeah i I think that's the yeah i don't know how many times you hear you know someone back home is not feeling well or you have somebody and sometimes you're like oh i got got things going on and i think we always have to be reminded like we're built so someone else can pick up the slack like that's just the way the military is built yeah but in those duties at home you know 
you know, I look back on my, my grandma, I was raised by my grandparents mm. and, you know, we had this rare opportunity to, to be home for her birthday and my sister was available too. And so we went home and our kids went and, and my daughter made her a cake. Um, you know, we put like a whole sash on her crown and everything. And, and, oh, you know, awesome. um, and, and three months later she passed. Mm. Right. Mm. And, yeah. and so that image that I have with our yeah. kids, around her and I actually, she couldn't make it to my promotion. I remember just because of her health, mm. but those, that parents medal, like that, that, have you seen in some of those ceremonies yeah. where they give you a parents medal? Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually put on my service dress cause she'd never seen me in service dress, you know, as a chief, I gave her a parents medal at her birthday and everything too. And I cling to that image, I Love that. you know, yeah. but I think it's just for everybody is, you know, you're making decisions like that. I think is always, always do the thing that you can't ever get back. Yeah. You can catch up on work. You know, oh, yeah. I think, I think sometimes, you know, when you have to make those decisions and so as you, you know, you kind of look at, at closing this chapter, you know, what do you, what do you look at as either advice to those who are somewhere else along the journey or, yeah. or maybe look at it, what the, what the air force has done to transform you to further the values and talents that you have, you know, kind of in life. Um, a couple months ago, I was at FTAC, right. And an airman asked me, what does the air force mean to you? And that was a tough question. I remember like, huh, what does the Air Force mean to you? And usually you get a lot of the same questions. I had never heard that one before. I had to think about it for a little bit. And I, the only way I could answer it was everything. Hmm. It just means everything to me. And when you think about like transformation and just experience where I was when I was 20 years old, just to go back to the beginning of our conversation, not knowing, you know, just being a lost soul. I wore ball bearing necklaces and had bleached blonde mm. hair, right? <laughs> this is this was me. I gotta see pics. Man. I gotta see <laughs> this some was pics. me. Played in a punk rock band. This was me. And uh, the people I love right now, with the exception of my family, are all because of the Air Force. Mm. Right? The uh, the experiences that I've had, the Air Force, the ex education, the training, just the development, the experience all the air force it means everything to me my mm. wife i met her because of the air force everything is because of the air force and it means the world to me and i'm going to miss it incredibly and i guess my advice to other people would just be like jump in with open arms yeah. always be ready for a challenge don't shy away from it don't approach approach it with joy don't approach it with frustration or because you're going to be frustrated there let's not kid ourselves there's plenty of days when i'm frustrated yeah. right but you got to approach it with joy and gratefulness that you get to do this and humility. We talked about just the responsibility that you have. And if you could just kind of have that attitude and, and work hard, focus on eulogy virtues. What are they going to say about you at the end of time, end of time versus yeah. your resume virtues and what we're trying, oh, I want to get this award, right? Yeah. Or I need to get this, save this amount of money. Just be a person of good, strong character. And if you could do that, I think you'll have a successful Air Force career. I feel like I've had, um, and not because of the, um, I, I don't think I've had a successful Air Force career because I'm sitting here retiring as a command chief. I feel like I've had a successful Air Force career because you and I are sitting here together as friends, Amen. right? That's, that's yeah. just the joy of it. Yeah. And, um, and, I have, and you're one of many friends I've made across our Air Force that it just is time. And so um, I guess that would be the best advice I'd have is to go, go to work every day with a smile and thankfully you get to do what you do because it will transform you. Yeah. yeah, can't say it better than that. Hard not to walk away from this conversation motivated to jump in with open arms and serve in the world's greatest Air Force. Big thank you to both Chief Hoover and Chief Blazer for taking time out to do this podcast. And 
I'm really lucky as I've had the chance to work on some BMT projects and enlisted force development projects with both chiefs and glad to call them friends as well. Best of luck, Chief Hoover, uh, on the next chapter to you and the family. As a reminder, you can follow AETC on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow Lieutenant General Robinson, our commander, on Twitter as well at AETC underscore commander. He's also on Facebook at AETC command team. For 24-7 news and notes, you can find him as well on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. Thanks for checking out the podcast as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education. For our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on The Air Force Starts Here.